Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where we review movies. That's what we do. It's a film review podcast. We review films. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic of uh, no renown whatsoever. And with me, as always, is a much more renowned film critic. Yes. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And I like to review films with a mystery person. Yeah, he has no renown whatsoever. (laughs) He could be anybody. He could Uh, be John Cusack. I I did just say my name however so i kind of kind of gave been gave the game away that could be your alias oh uh hello my name is actor john cusack my first name is actor (laughs) (laughs) parents really calling your shots when they i uh, i I love i love john cusack but uh he he um one of my worst interview experiences was was with John Cusack. Oh dear. Yeah, and and this was not because you know anything awkward. He didn't do anything awful. Just uh, it was one. Of, it was for his film, The Raven. Oh and yeah. He had yeah. spent all day on the phone with reporters, and yeah. and they said uh, they, the publicist kept calling me saying, "Well, stand by. We might have a slot for you." And then they said they wouldn't. So I said, "Oh, too bad. I'll have to tell my editor. I just can't." His schedule is full. I can't talk to him today. Shit happens. And then, like, at 5.30, they called back and they said, you know what? He's agreed to do one more. So it was a, the end of a long day for him. Yeah. And he's going to talk to one more reporter. He hadn't... He didn't want to do it. Just no energy. He, he just, yeah. He, he wasn't yeah. there. He, he had answered the same question a hundred uh-huh. times. I Whatever I was going to say, it wasn't going to impress him. Mm. So he just... He wasn't there. He's just not yeah. not engaging in a way. It's like I'm trying to engage with him you at know, all, but he just wasn't there for me. You know, publicity. I'm just gonna say it right mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's a hard gig. Is it? Oh, yeah. Is it? Is it like painful? No, but is it just grueling and mind numbing? And you're answering the same questions over and over again, and it's bound to take its toll after 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it happens. I, I've, been on, I have, I've been on both ends. I have no yeah. ill will towards John Cusack at all for no, no, no. B- being a little bit snippy and giving me short answers no. during an interview because he clearly didn't want to do it. And I was yeah. fit in at the last minute. So I was an inconvenience for him. Yeah. And I can appreciate that view. <laughs> but you I'm, know what? Have you ever been asked to stay late at your job? I have. And, but I'm, you know what? I'm going to give John Cusack credit here. Mm. Here's a guy who was like, oh, someone needs the gig. Yeah, you know, yeah, so I don't want to. Someone got let down because of the we, schedule, uh, and this way they'll have something to publish. You know, that's professional. I mean, did the, the best he could. I mean, uh, that's not so bad. Yeah, clearly wasn't in the mood, but yes, professional enough to actually speak to me. Yeah. So compliments to John Cusack, even yes. though it was a bad interview experience for me. So this is our John Cusack fan show. There are no John Cusack movies this week that I know of. What are we reviewing instead of John Cusack movies? We are reviewing the new releases, Scream. For the 2022 version, not the Wes Craven one. Uh, we're reviewing Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania. And Mamoru Hosoda's Bell. So that's two animated films and a slasher sequel. Mm. That's kind of fun. 
It's a different yeah, uh, different yeah, ratio uh, than usual. <laughs> we we don't usually have a, a a majority of animated features, and there's another animated film that we we just didn't get to on Netflix this week. Yeah, so, it looks really really good. It's a stop motion uh, film, I think, called The House. Uh, and uh, yeah, we wanted to get to it. Didn't make, didn't have the time, it. unfortunately. It's not a matter uh, of making it; a matter of having it. Uh, but um, uh, which of these films do you want to talk about first? Let's start. Let's talk about the. Uh, let's talk about the uh, elephant in a slasher movie mask in the room. Uh, and let's talk about the brand new Scream movie. Scream, not it's not called Scream Five. Nope, it's called Scream. There's a reason for that, uh, which they address in dialogue. Uh, this is uh, a requel that is, it's staged as a remake, mm-hmm. but it has legacy characters, so it works both as a sequel and as a remake. So basically, so they can sucker in two audiences simultaneously. The the, for, the, the format there, there's two basic movies that are kind of create the framework on which the new Scream is is set. One of which is rather obvious. It's David Gordon Green's Halloween. It's yeah. flat out called Halloween. And it, while this new Scream doesn't ignore the other sequels, it's really not about the other sequels either. It's basically a follow-up in a lot of ways to the original. Um, uh, but uh, also the other film that this takes a lot of its cues from is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Because we're introducing a whole bunch mm-hmm. of new characters and they're going to be ushered into familiar roles to people who are familiar with the franchise by the legacy characters mm-hmm. who will return. Which, uh, uh, when And when uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens came out, I did notice some parallels between that and Tiny Toon Adventures. So this is not a new <laughs> idea. No, of course Where not. we have sort of these young distaff counterpart versions of the same characters. They're yeah. really, they really similar, but the characters also exist in that universe and they can interact. Yeah. That's Tiny Toons. Yeah. Um, Scream has always been commenting directly on whatever is happening or has happened uh, in the horror franchise since the beginning. Yep, ish. Uh, ish. The, 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 the sequel's less so, but well, uh, the I, first movie for sure. I, I think I th- it's, it's interesting, actually. The original Scream came out in 1996. Uh, it was from director Wes Craven and writer Kevin Williamson, and it was a slasher movie at a time when slasher movies were not making money. When mm. Wes Craven was not making money, his movies were not successful. Uh, and uh, it came from a no-name writer, and it featured... A cast of young people, people knew. Drew Barrymore was in it. Courtney Cox was in it. These were these were celebrities. The, 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 they were the bigger names uh, of the cast, and yeah. you know, other actors that you had seen in movies before, like uh, Nev Campbell was on Party of Five. Yeah, uh, Rose McGowan was in like the Doom Generation. I'm pretty uh, sure I'd already seen David Arquette before, although I'm struggling to remember what. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was around. I feel like I'd known him from something else, but in uh, any case, he, this is what became the, a star-making role. The gimmick with the first scream, uh, I mean, this is all pretty well known, is that it's context it's, matters. It's a slasher movie uh, made by Wes Craven about characters who are really familiar with slasher movies, so they recognize when they're kind of in a horror movie type scenario, mm-hmm. uh, and as such, uh, talk about it in such a way. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the characters, Randy, played by uh, Jamie Kennedy. He's the movie obsessive. He's the horror movie obsessive, and he's the one who points out that you know there's so, so much, so many cliches about these movies that we actually have to be cautious in the way we behave because this we're is tempting fate. We, otherwise, yeah, this yeah. like we're, we're kind of in a movie right now, so we have to watch the way we behave. And plus, the killers seem uh, to know all about movies as well, and so right. they seem to be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's basically the whole Scream franchise is about people who take horror movies so seriously that mm-hmm. they decide to create them for themselves. The original film is really great. Mm-hmm. It's got a really, really great cast. It's got a smart screenplay. All the characters are like fully developed, interesting people. 
Um, it works as a slasher movie. It works as a slasher commentary. It works as a comedy. And it was very, very topical. Uh, in the mid-90s, there was a lot of conversation uh, with the MPAA and they were mm. talking in front of Congress about how, oh, are violent movies making people more violent? Yeah, this was this, a this, serious concern. This was it's, very on-the-nose uh, consideration that was talked about openly in the movie screen. It's been been a lot. It's been talked about, you know, ad infinitum, and it yeah. constantly comes up in, you know, censorship and media conversations. But it was really, really hip at the time, in, yeah. in 1996, uh, to, to have these conversations. Um, just a few years earlier, um, I think it was Tipper Gore, yeah. who was uh, putting warnings on records yeah. because of foul language. This was around um, the time they started putting rating systems on TV shows. They never used right. to had them before. Mm. Yeah. TV shows were just TV. And if, if yeah. they had, uh, they're on TV, they must be fine. Well, yeah. And if they had rough content, well, that's late at night. That's after the kids are in bed. Yeah. It's like after 10 PM, you can put up some yeah. slightly naughtier language. I, I have been turned away by when I was young, a couple of movie theaters are trying to get into an R rated movie without my parents. Nothing, yeah. nothing horrible. Just like, oh, can I can I see American Pie? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. And then that was that. It happened like two or three times. At no point was was I ever like watching something with my parents on the TV. It's like this: the following program has been rated MA, and my parents were like, "Oh no, <laughs> that never fucking happened." Because it was still TV. There was still yeah, only yeah. so much you're allowed to do. Well, well you, technically, you're allowed to do whatever the heck you want on TV. It's uh, and the Federal Communications Commission, which is not an elected body and has no real legal recourse on anything. Yeah, uh, just makes recommendations. There's no real law. Well, they can fine you, but I also they, they can, can fine you, but they can't arrest you. Yeah, they can't they can't charge you with anything yeah, if you, you could, don't you, pay the fine. You could, you could broadcast a snuff film if you want. You're not well, going to go to well. If you have that. a snuff film, you're going to go to jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's we saw video drama. It doesn't go well. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was a big part of uh, the conversation. Uh, yeah. It was such a big hit that they rushed a sequel into production. Scream 2 came out the following year. Less than a year later, yeah. actually. Uh, and it, it's quite good. It, it's it's good for a... It's certainly good for a film that was rushed into production. It's one yeah. of the films that uh, really kind of a- accurately depicts college life. Yeah. Uh, it's That's kind of uncommon. Mm-hmm. And it, it's where we start to get away from a lot of the rule baiting and the commentary oh. on cinema. And is it becomes a lot more uh, intrinsically about the characters it, and their relationships. It becomes a bit more soap operatic. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, the characters are strong enough to handle that. The main, the basic commentary in scream two, at least the meta commentary is the idea that all sequels suck. Yeah. That was the idea. And there'd already been proof that that's not a hundred percent true at the time, but the majority of the time when a sequel was made, it was usually mm-hmm. rushed into production less than a year later, copies the formula of the original, which scream two did makes it bigger and broader without necessarily making it better, which scream two did. And the idea is scream two is going to do that and also make it good, which mm-hmm. I think they mostly got away with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Totally watchable movie. Yeah. Uh, Scream 3 came out... Uh, Two years later. Yeah, a few years later. It came out in 2000. Came yeah. out, so it was 96, and, uh, 97, mm-hmm. and then 2000. It was also uh, Wes Craven, but it was a new screenwriter this time. So yeah. it didn't have that sort of Kevin Williamson uh, patois. He, yeah. he, he has a, a certain kind of conversational style in his yeah. screenplays that it's really very appealing. This one was written uh, by Aaron Kruger, who is mm-hmm. no Kevin Williamson. Although I still quite like Scream 3 mm-hmm. a lot. Scream 3... But, and the yeah. queerness noticeably absent no uh, that's, that's true that's, that's, that's a good that's, point that's although, I do, still, although I do still think it's got a, a, a definite uh, commentary about misogyny and sexism mm. uh, whereas the original two screen movies uh, were about um, 
you know, people who said that, oh, like, movies don't make psychos, to quote the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a term I'd use. Movies don't make psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Scream 3, which takes place in Hollywood on the production of the Stab sequel. Uh, Stab 3. Stab is the... Stab is the in-universe version of Scream. Yeah, the so movies it, that they made out in, of the In the, real in life the Scream series, they're making movies of the events of the first Scream movie. And what I like about Scream 3 is, it does it clumsily, but what I like about Scream 3 is that it argues that the institutionalized sexism and misogyny of the Hollywood studio system... Mm does have a ripple effect and it does affect yeah, it's, it's, people it's, outside of that system in ways that we can't super, really predict. Uh, it's super soap operatic because this is all, all sort of stems from experiences that Nev Campbell's mother, yeah. uh, Sydney's mother had when she was in Hollywood and, it all comes back around to relatives of the main character, which I think is kind of an annoying screenwriting trope, but it True. does have a point to it at the yeah. very least. It's, and, it's and ultimately about how you know, Harvey Weinstein is an unforgivable monster and the movie was made under Harvey Weinstein's nose, which I yeah, think is kind of interesting. Dimension pictures. Yeah, so uh, it's 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 thoughtful and I appreciate that it mm. kind of closes the loop mm. on what this kind of thing has always been about, which is about uh, particularly men uh, who are willing to kill because women had agency. And that's what happened with Maureen's mother. That's what happened with Sydney. Yeah. Uh, in Scream 2, the killer was, you know, oh, well, this uh, this 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 man did all these horrible things in Scream 1, and I blame Sydney for that. Yeah. Rather than blaming the actual person who did it. And uh, it just keeps going in Scream 3. There was a long, long gap. It seemed like Scream had pretty much run its course. And then we had Scream 4 in 2010? 2011. 2011. Yeah. 2011. Um, and Scream 4 is pretty good. And that was Kevin Williamson again. Yeah. It was uh, Wes Craven again. Yeah. Uh, and that was Wes Craven's final film. And uh, it was uh, an attempt to sort of... I mean, they, they hauled all the old cast members out of mothballs again and put yeah. them in front of the camera with a new cast of new characters, a new generation of millennials who mm. have a different view of uh, horror movie fandom. Yeah. And uh, it, sadly, it I think some... that, I think most of the young cast of that movie are a little underwritten, except for Hayden Panettiere. Yeah, I well, think that, that's one of the biggest failing of that film, if you ask me. Yeah, but... And the the main character of the young crowd is played by Emma Roberts. And yeah. the ultimate message of that film is uh, who, who can do it better, Gen X or millennials. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. I don't know. It's very much sort of this intergenerational thing about how uh, all of these horror movies are being remade and this, the current generation of horror fans uh, don't have it as good. Uh, That's that they're, because they're sort of uh, nursing off the leavings of a previous generation. So they don't have like the same, uh, same kind of appreciation of horror movies. I I guess I always look at that movie as it's kind of, my take but my take is um the new generation is far enough removed from the previous generation that although they understand the success and popularity of what came before they don't understand it they don't understand that what sydney prescott went through in those movies was horrifying and traumatic they just know that she got famous And they don't have the takeaway and they're not actually bothering yeah, to really end. delve into what made the things work in the first place. They're just mm. doing it in a surfacey way to to basically make a quick buck, and this which is, is kind uh, of the point of that movie, which I, is, I appreciate. Uh, directed by a boomer and written by a Gen Xer. So um, it's clearly both of them kind of 
ganging up on millennials saying, yeah. oh, you just care about fame. Uh, and it's it's a little bit bitter, and I appreciate yeah. that about Scream 4. And, and the way that the uh, pop culture sort of evolved mm. in the wake of Scream 4, Scream 4 just seemed more and more spot on. Yeah. In terms of, and, like, the uh, TikTok cultures and that kind mm. of stuff, and the way that, like, people lived more and more and more online, and the idea that uh, celebrity would become a new form of not just popularity, but currency. Yeah. This would actually, like, mm. you make your living at it. Uh, not, not just oh. social currency, but literal spending yeah. currency. That's actually that's that was actually kind of spot on. Actually, mm. good for them. Honestly, they this, they, they uh, made that work. And now we're on to uh, Scream, the fifth movie. Uh, it is a direct sequel, even though mm. it has the same uh, title. And it, like yeah. we said, this is sort of the requel thing where they're trying to do both at the same time. Uh, this one's directed yeah. by Matt Bettinelli, Olpin, and Tyler Gillett. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, they are uh, of uh, Ready or Not fame. Yeah. Uh, Ready or Not, which is a, a great a f- movie. Fun, fun little wicked, uh, violent picture about yeah. a, a hide and seek game that goes hor- horrendously awry. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, and once again, we're skipping ahead another generation. Uh, enough time has passed since Scream 4 that we're dealing with uh, Zoomers. And we have a new cast of Zoomers. And they uh, go through the beats of Scream. Uh, if, yeah. Almost by, on a scene-by-scene basis. Not unlike something like The Force Awakens goes through the beats yeah. of Star Wars. So, so yeah. it, it opens the same way the 1996 film opened, with somebody at home alone answering the phone, with the same killer on the other end stalking their home and breaking yeah. in. Except the twist uh, this time is that instead of asking them questions about really old movies like Friday the 13th, yeah. they're asking them questions about really old movies like Scream. Well, they're, they're asking them about stab. Yeah, so that the comment, which is, which is there's, kind of funny, there's a little bit of, of distance from the actual yeah. commentary as a result. A uh, little bit, but I think I think it's clear what we're getting at here because if you think about yeah. it, Scream, the original Scream, now is older today than Friday the Thirteenth was when it was considered kind of an old slasher when Scream oh, came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, when Drew Barrymore got wrong, like who the killer was. Oh. And the original Friday the 13th, because, like, it's kind of old. People kind of get them all kind of confused or whatever like that. But if you're a real horror fan, like, and you watch them a lot, that's mm. probably not going to get you. Um, it's You realize that, like, oh, shit, there's a whole generation into which that's Scream now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's kind I, of interesting. I, I do it, it, it puts it all perspective the, right at the I do stop, appreciate like. that, that uh, the the victim at the beginning, she's looking up... Uh, the trivia on her phone while the killer's stalking her. <laughs> that was kind of good. Something yeah. Drew Barrymore couldn't have done in 1996. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in 96, uh, you, you've put it this way before, uh, having a, a mobile phone was a, this like supervillain power. Yeah, the, the you, police Because it was 1996, his... you didn't have a mobile phone that much. Yeah, they, they were around, but they were, mm. A, they were clunky, and B, yeah, they were a little uncommon. They were still pretty expensive. High schoolers were, didn't typically have them. So if you were on the phone, you were at home. You were in yeah. or at a friend's house or in, yeah. inside in a building that had a landline. Yeah, there you were, you were where, you, where you were stuck. You were wherever a, you were. That a and killer could talk to you on the phone while being outside of your house walking around was this weird novel thing. I, it was it was really mm. creepy. Like, they, you mean they could have called from anywhere? Yeah, That's they, an actual line from Scream. And it's today it's hilarious. But at the time, yeah, mm. that was new. Uh, so this, this young victim is savaged but not killed. Uh, yeah. She's put That's in the hospital. Twist. And... Uh, her older sister, who is living in Modesto, California, with her boyfriend, played by uh, uh, um, Jack Quaid. Yeah, it looks exactly like Randy Quaid. So I had <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he looks like Joshua or, Jackson, who was in Scream Two. Oh, there you go. So for a second, I was like, wait a minute, see, we're gonna find out they're related. Wait, what's going on? It's so hard to keep track. Yeah, the, um, the main character, she's played by uh, Melissa Barrera. Yeah, uh, uh, from she, In the Heights fame. Yeah, 
and here yeah. she's playing a character who's had just was unfortunately born without a personality. Oh, uh, she that's not uh, fair. Uh, okay, I'll be fair. None of them have personality. Oh my god, you're uh, really going to be this guy? All, yes, okay. I am. Um, all right. I'll just I'll just say it outright. I really disliked this movie. Uh, ah, qu- qu- snap. Qu- quite quite a bit to a point where it makes me dislike the other ones in retrospect. Oh my god. Um, I'm I'm just not a scream person anymore. Okay. Uh, they, they go through all of the beats. The one big twist is that the Melissa Barrera character uh, has a, a dark secret in her past because when she ta- mm. looks in the mirror, she sees none other than Skeet Ulrich, yeah. who was the killer from the first Scream movie in the mirror next to her, digitally de-aged, of yeah. course. He looks like a teenager. Yeah, pretty convincing. Yeah, but the yeah, effect works. Good, good yeah. special effects. Yeah. And uh, he talks to her saying, what are you going to tell them the secret? And the secret is... Uh, what can I, I say? No, let's no, not. Okay. It's, I won't say what the secret is, yeah. but uh, she does see the ghost of, of Billy Loomis and uh, yeah. and has conversations with him. It, it's not nothing supernatural. It's like a psychological thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On. Uh, um, but, but the idea is that there is a, there is a deeper connection hmm. uh, to from between these characters we've never met before to the original series, mm. uh, the new ghost face or ghost faces, because there's usually more than one, uh, are on a killing spree. And I will say this, uh, Radio Silence, uh, they up the ante on the violence on this one. This one's quite brutal. Like, really, oh, like, slow stabbings and, like, mm. everything's visualized a lot more clearly. More daylight murders. Yeah. Like, right in the street, actually, which is really unsettling. <laughs> There's a re- really, uh, really fun one just, like, in, in front of somebody's house. In just, the middle of the just, day. In the middle of the day on a porch. It's, it's really nice. There's something, like, we're, uh, we're used to seeing horrifying mm. things happen in the middle of the night or in the shadows. And mm. while it's scary, there's also this part of you in the back of your head where, like, well, that's where that would happen. Mm-hmm. But when you have something terrifying happen, like right out in the open, there's something about it that always freaks me out more, <laughs> like way more, you know, it's yeah. like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know you could do that in the middle of the day. That's not oh. right. That's just rude so, at that point. And, uh, and of course, because these killings have begun again and these killings do pop up from time to time because yeah. these are all part of the same continuity. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, the fifth the, time they've happened. Yeah, the, the, the Six if you count like the first killing of Maureen Prescott. Yeah. It's, uh, 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 t- takes place in a fictional town called Woodsboro. Yeah. Woodsboro, California. And uh, in in Woodsboro, uh, these murders do happen from time to time, and there's copycats that rise up from time to time. Everybody's aware of it, so mm-hmm. of course they call in uh, some of the cast members from the original Scream, and they all come back. Yeah, uh, and David Arquette is there to do some acting. Uh, <laughs> Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox are there to do. Well, they stand around. They mostly show up towards the end. They, they don't have they, as much going up, on. They don't do a lot. They clearly don't want to be there. They look really bored. <laughs> I think Courtney. I think Nev Campbell showed up to do her job. I think Courtney Cox looks. A little bored. Yeah. <laughs> They're just David Arquette's giving it, giving, giving real performance. He's, he's at least he's, trying to act a little bit. Trying, but, yeah. I think he gets away with that. I think he's. You see uh, that like this is the experience of all these screen movies has really worn on him. Yeah, like it's they've they've taken a toll. And we, I appreciate. We, we catch up with his character, and he's like it, divorced in a tra- in a trailer, and he's an alcoholic, yeah. and he's just really miserable. So yeah, he's kind of like his his life is not in the happiest place at the moment. Yeah. Um, I will say this, unlike Scream 4, which as I said before, I think one of the biggest problems with that movie is that, you know, ostensibly this is a new Scream. It's like, it's like 10 years after the last Scream. It's a new Scream for a new generation. But the emphasis was so squarely on the older cast members that all the younger cast members barely made any impact whatsoever. Hmm. Almost none of them had anything resembling an arc or had a meaningful backstory or some way you could even really differentiate them from one another. 
Um, and I think that's something this they clearly wanted to avoid in this one because I feel like the young cast in this does take center stage, in part because Dewey is the only recurring character who has a meaningful amount of screen time. Um, so these younger people really do have to uh, fill that void. Uh, I think uh, Jasmine Savoy uh, Brown and... Um, who plays her brother? Hold on. Uh, oh, the, the... The twins. Yeah, the, the twins. There's, there's two twins. There's two twins uh, who are, oh, and, uh, are, who are uh, uh, distantly related to Randy. Mason Gooding is his name. Mason Gooding. Uh, they're he, fun. He, he was in Booksmart. Yeah, they're, they're very, very fun actors. They... Uh, they really do feel like they're part of like the Kevin Williamson sort mm. of universe, even though Williamson isn't credited as a writer here. Um, I think Jack Quaid is holding uh, his own really, really well here. Um, he plays a guy who hasn't seen the screen movies and is gradually catching up, and mm. that works. Um, but um, I, this one works for me. I think this works mm. for me as a traditional slasher. I think the actual uh, kills are different and inventive enough and staged in a really, you know, an, a meaningfully cinematic way. Oh, like, they're golly, not just... The, the, no, this... you're wrong. You're wrong about everything <laughs> you're about to tell me. I really, really like the kills uh, in this movie. Uh, you may, but they are yeah. are not creatively staged. They're... No. they're... My issue with the, the Scream movie, and the, the thing that makes... And there's some commentary at the end, and they actually sort of... We do get to learn uh, who the killer or killers might be and yeah. what their motivation is. They, yeah. There's always exposi- exposition dumps at the ends mm-hmm. of these things where yeah. they, the killers explain their motivation. That's one of the cliches they're kind of making fun of. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a little bit of commentary as to why they're doing what they do. And it has a lot to do with horror fandom and the modern state of it. Um, and really just fandom in general. Fan- honestly, fandom like, in general. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I brought up Star Wars, the movie brings up Star Wars too. Like, yeah, that the, kind uh, of fandom is what we're talking about here. <laughs> Um, the commentary itself feels like maybe five years out of date, really? uh, because a lot of it has to do with sort of, uh, modern fandom and how internet trolls are a big part of that. And you know, after four years of having an internet troll as a president, it feels like slight and kind of backward to start bringing <laughs> it up now. It's like, no, no, you need to bring this up maybe four years ago. Well, and we then, didn't get the movie actually... made four years ago. Is no, it no, we, longer... no, we didn't. You, you so feel like we're... it's no longer relevant? I feel I, like it's relevant. Uh, it, it's, it, it would feel it's not ahead more... of its time, but it's certainly relevant. It's, it's a little behind its time, and it would feel more relevant if the filmmakers believed it. This is a... a like it's very lifeless. There's not a lot of energy or momentum in any of this. There's the the skills aren't scary. The the humor isn't funny. The tension moments aren't tense. It feels really perfunctory, and it's that perfunctory feeling that makes me feel like, wait a minute, Scream just doesn't have anything anymore. Uh. They just have repeated commentary from reviews of the last Scream movie. And they're not really bringing any kind of new ideas. And if they were going to repeat old ideas, they need to believe it. And I can tell that these filmmakers really don't care. And as a result, I really don't care. So I'm walking out of this thing disappointed with not just this Scream, but with the Scream series in general. That I'm looking back over these and thinking, this is it. Is it that they kind of robbed the previous films of their creativity and and hindsight? Mm -hmm. I'm just completely... I feel like I, I can't be a fan of these movies anymore. I just don't care as much because they don't care as much. And there, there's, there's no passion behind this any longer. We're just yeah. sort of trotting. And if that is part of the commentary of this new scream, 
that in May, you know, sort of like re rebooting these things and trying to bring them back out and sort of cynically cash in on the old faces. And you're sort of lampshading the fact that you're doing that in this movie, but mm-hmm. lampshading your own shortcomings doesn't change the fact that you have shortcomings. Uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, First off, I think lampshading your shortcomings has always been part of Scream. Hmm. Even right from the beginning when Nev Campbell talks about how, like, oh, everyone in a, in a slasher movie always runs upstairs when they should run outside, and then that's the first thing they immediately do. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's always been part of Scream. It's more that's always genre tropings, not the movie itself. No, but, okay. but, I, but, I still, but the movie still does it, though. Yeah. It's, the movie is creating a space wherein they can say, okay, we know, hmm. but it's fun, so we're going to do it. And I think that's where that's at. Um Generally speaking, everything you just said, I respect you and I love you as a person and as a critic, but I'm going to quote uh, my cousin Vinny here. <laughs> everything that guy just said is BS. <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't disagree more. I actually, uh, uh, when I said this kiss, kills were staged creatively, that may have been slightly misworded. I believe they are presented classily. I believe that they are presented in a way that actually... Uh, is not just about uh, shock and gore. I think they present it in a way where they actually care about the characters and their plight and we're the, under the mm-hmm. assumption that we don't want to see them killed and the actors are the characters are written and the actors are presenting them in such a way that I don't. Uh, that uh, when people die in this movie, I give a shit. Okay. Even more so than I did in, the, in other good Scream movies like Scream 4 or Scream 3. Um, I really, really liked this cast. I think mostly they're very well written few more so than others i'll mm. grant you but that's true for almost anything um i actually didn't I, I this is not a badge of honor or anything like that but it did hurt the movie a little bit for me i guess who the killer was like really early on in screen four <laughs> like in screen four like i knew it like within like 20 minutes like it mm. seemed pretty obvious to me and it kind of bore out uh, this one didn't quite see exactly how it was going to come together, and I I thought that was fun. Yeah, I thought they actually remembered that Scream was also supposed to be kind of a whodunit, and I mm. thought that worked rather well. Um, I appreciated that no one is safe. I appreciate that char- like legacy characters, I'm not going to say who, but characters who were introduced in previous movies are not immortal like they were in Scream 4, uh-huh. which also I think hurt that film a little bit, made it feel like everyone's just a little too safe. It's not really scary at that point if some people are guaranteed to be fine. Um, so uh, I think that was a was a slick play. Um, I agree that the conversation that there's, this movie is having about toxic fandom mm. is not new. However, yeah. I also think that it is 100% contemporary and relevant. It's literally happening like... While I was in the theater waiting to see Scream and looking at my phone, mm. I was seeing shit like that <laughs> like yeah. on Twitter like right now. I Just because it's not brand spanking new and ahead of its time doesn't mean that I don't that it's not commenting on something relevant and I don't I think that well, when, when you say that when you say that the, the, the filmmakers don't believe maybe in right. like the requel format um, I think they detest it I think this is I think they're actually quite mad that they this is what fandom has demanded mm-hmm. is that instead of doing something new and interesting and fun we have to go back to this well and I think that the 
viciousness of the violence in some of these uh, death scenes uh, and the viciousness of some of the commentary is basically them just saying, we would have liked to have done something else too. But <laughs> well, instead, so if, this is what you demand of your of your horror movies. If, and so this is what we're sure, stuck with. Surely, Scream uh, is only allowed to be what is currently popular and it needs to comment on that and try to push it forward while doing exactly what's happening right now. So surely if you sense then that the filmmakers don't want to be doing what they're doing, that... Surely that's a detriment to the film. No, I don't. I disagree. Right. Actually, I think when I think when I the would point is the comment on the about, genre and to critique the genre, which Scream has I, always done, I, I think uh, a harsh critique is fair. Since sla- slashers, even retro slashers, that uh, you know, mm. Scream spawned a bunch of uh, imitators. Yeah, uh, like, I, ironic slashers I, like. Yeah, uh, uh, who's, uh, Ur- Urban I, Legend. I, I know she did last summer, summer Valentine's Day. Yeah, all, all yeah. the, or just Valentine, but yeah. Oh, that's right. It was Valentine. There, there yeah. was yeah. there was a, 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 a brief slew of scream imitators mm. in the late nineties. Uh, some of them were okay. Yeah, most of them were pretty pat. Um, most of them were pretty forgettable. Few, a few hold up real good. The, uh, scream yeah. didn't really revive the slasher genre, though. It was kind of like the button on the genre, and the sequels were just sort of like extensions from that. Mm. Uh, at the beginning of the new scream, uh, there, uh, the killer is quizzing the, the young heroine and What's she your favorite is, scary it's your favorite scary movie. And she says stuff like the Babadook and it yeah. follows, you know, the A24 kinds of movies. Yeah. I love that. That's kind Wouldn't of it have been keen if the new scream was in that style where there uh-huh. wasn't a lot of dialogue and a lot of slow sustained shots and really hazy photography. Mm-hmm. And we get to see Ghostface just sort of standing there and everybody acknowledges him, but nobody can see him. I will say this right now. I would love it if that was the take for, if there's another one of these and mm-hmm. it's, it's doing very well, so I wouldn't be surprised. I would love it if that's a take for the next one. Mm-hmm. I think in this one, we're commenting on the fact that some fans refuse to move on yeah, and won't a, let anything new happen. What, and what I, I think that's... To, what this one is about, and that's what this one mm. is basically just because all scream movies are basically about toxic fandoms. Yeah, they all are. they're all about people who see a horror movie and decide that their that, love that's of horror. Really keen, well, yeah. it's not even that that's really keen. It's that that their love of horror movies gives them the right to dehumanize and treat other people like shit. Mm. And whether that's actually killing is kind of incidental, basically. Um, so it's always been about toxic fandom. Every single scream villain has been a toxic fan on some level or another. Um, so I think that's kind of where they're at right now. But I would love to see this take... I remember when uh, Scream 3 came out. Mm. And one of the things that Randy said in like, this video that he recorded in Scream 2, it was a very cute bit. Uh, he was talking about, yes, and the killer will be invincible now. And that's a whole bit where they shoot the killer multiple times and he keeps coming after him. And the gag is he's just wearing a bulletproof vest. Yeah. But like for a moment, for a moment, like Dewey like shoots him and he can, he's just like, but he's invincible now. It's like, dude, we're not supernatural yet. But what if we were? What if we actually went supernatural? Well, you know, it took Jason to... Voorhees six movies to go supernatural. Why not now? A, a lot of, a lot of people have asked uh, if, if you're going to make another scream, don't make scream make stab well i said movie this within, yeah, i would love movie. that and there is allusion to uh, a movie called stab which is stab eight uh-huh. within the fabric of of scream five directed by ryan johnson it's directed by ryan johnson <laughs> and in it it's like uh their ghost face now is like big buff arms that are exposed mm-hmm. as like killing people with flamethrower i want to see that movie i also want to see that, that would have that should have been scream five it's like the, the in-universe version of the see, scream events have become so wild that it it doesn't even resemble a good movie anymore. I, th- I wish I wish we I seriously wish we could do that. I I do think that that would be very very. I would love it if it's like frustrating that they're we're at a point where they 
all they can do is comment on how yeah. uncreative everything is. Yeah. Because all we're getting is an uncreative movie. Well, you could say that about Scream 1, couldn't you? Yeah, well, Scream 1 was commenting on larger genre tropes. Uh-huh. Scream 5 is commenting on Scream movies. No, I th- but it's also it's commenting on the current franchise phenomenon, which, free, mm. which Scream is merely a part. Again, right. <laughs> they're commenting, a lot of the things that they're commenting on apply just as much to Star Wars Rise of, the Sky, Rise of Skywalker mm. as they do to Scream, as they do to Halloween, as they do to uh, Jurassic World. Um I think that's all relevant. I think that's all fine. Um, I think Scream has always been about having your cake and eating it too. Always been about completely reveling in the exact same things that we know are kind of ludicrous, mm. but we like them and we're going to do them. And I think that there's a lot of stuff in this movie that Radio Silence really does like doing. But I think what they're commenting on, what they're angry at is the idea of toxic fans not letting people move on. Um, And I think there's so much more you could do with this. And I think the stage is set that maybe we can say goodbye to some of the, even the legacy characters who are alive at the end of this and just sort of move on Hmm. and let this be its own thing now. And that would be exciting. And I would love to see, because these are clever filmmakers. They're, They're definitely energetic and you know, they're, they make good movies. I would like to see what they could do when they're unfettered. Yeah. When they're, when they're unleashed. And I think that this is a great movie to sort of sever the past. And then maybe we can move on. But whatever. If they I make think, another uh, one, I'll deal with whatever it is when we get to it, however I, it turns I, out. I felt but... like that was the function of Scream 4 was to sever the past. Mm-hmm. Now is the chance to do something more interesting. I would have said that if there wasn't for the coda in Scream 4. If like if Scream 4 had ended where it looks like it's going to end okay. with the bad guy winning. Okay. And that had been it. That would have been amazing. That would have been the best ending. Yeah, I would have yeah. been the coolest fucking thing ever. Mm-hmm. I would have. I was celebrating in the theater. I was like, oh my god, this is the coolest thing ever. And then there's this long epilogue where everything turns out okay, and it turns out all of the legacy heroes are fine. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I feel like Hannibal Lecter. No, no, no. You were doing fine. It's like that scene you were courteous and kiss, receptive to courtesy. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's like, oh yeah. yes, and he was okay too. And like, there's this epilogue. It's like, oh, and all the dead characters come back in, and then they also bring in Abraham Lincoln and Elvis. Yeah. Like they're all alive again yeah yeah yeah. it's the mega happy ending mm-hmm. and i feel like i feel like scream 4 threw that away yeah. and i feel like scream uh, scream 2022 doesn't throw it away i feel like we're in a place now where it's like yeah we can you know we're in a, we're in a good place to move on and unlike scream 4 which even if it had ended where i said it ended really didn't have a supporting cast to carry through mm. to more movies this one i think they wisely left certain people in play so that there could be a supporting cast to carry through and be the new Scream. Okay. Rather than just keep having to go back to the old well. Oh, by the way, Kenny survived somehow. Remember Kenny? <laughs> Fuck it. Kenny's back. There was apparently, we, we there was gotta, apparently an attempt multiple times to like bring Matthew Lillard back, saying Stu had somehow survived. I'm, oh, I'm glad uh, they didn't. That would have been a step too far. Yeah, although we, we get a... There's a, a character related to him as well. There is, there is. Uh, He's played by an actor Kyle named Gullner. Kyle, Kyle Gullner, who is in the uh, Friday the 13th remake, or uh, mm. Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah, yeah, he was also in um, uh, Veronica Mars. He's, very, he's a good actor, actually. Right. Um, anyway, I, I, like, I clearly like this a lot more than you. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was... Just kind of grossed out and bored by the entire thing by the time by the end of this one. Again, you you don't go to slasher movies to see something completely revolutionary, Mm -hmm. and I think ironically, Scream is kind of built on being revolutionary, but it never has been. It's always been about toiling in the milieu, Mm -hmm. take a drink, 
uh, that exists and finding some way to sort of make it pop through strong writing. And I like the writing here. I think it yeah, works. The, the curious thing about continuing the, the Scream series is the Scream, Scream is the only thing left that's kind of keeping slashers alive. They do come aground uh, occasionally and Halloween as well. Halloween is still doing well. Um, the last, I've, I've seen a few, like very few original slashers uh, mm. in the last couple of years. There was one, uh, at a boarding school. Um, was it Seance? Seance. Yeah, I actually still haven't seen I saw that. Seance. I that's, a, that. that's a slasher movie. Uh, just sort of straight up slasher. Uh, I mean, the genre is very moribund. It's, uh, it's uh, many, many years out of date at this point. There's so, Someone Inside Your House came out last year. That was a very good slasher. Okay. Just um, doesn't necessarily disprove your point. Oh, Freaky. Freaky was a good slasher. It's a high concept uh, uh, Freaky, slasher. Freaky, Freaky's okay. It's Happy more, Birthday more to You was a good slasher. Bo- body swap movie. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, point being, there. Fair Street. <laughs> we had three. We had three great slasher movies right, last year. Right. I, uh, I'll go. I'll go to examples. Okay. <laughs> for the last couple of years. Wait a minute. Uh, I, I'd still. I still think I'm safe in saying, however. Okay. That they're not the center of of horror right now. That's fair. That's a hundred percent true. That, that's the, the genre true. is is a retro genre. Yeah, yeah, it's like westerns. We fair, still make them, fair, but they're not they're not pushing the medium forward. Fear Street, yes. Fear Street set in nineteen ninety four, isn't it? <laughs> and also nineteen seventy eight, isn't it? I know. Uh, so it's still it's uh, westerns are set in the old west. Um, and... Yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, <laughs> so the, these these sort of like commentaries on slasher movies aren't for modern horror fans. Yeah, they're fair. kind of trying to teach younger horror fans what older horror fans are all about. And uh, That's fair. Uh, as such, the the whole idea of unpacking modern fandom with slashers seems a little bit odd to me. I can appreciate that. That's mm-hmm. a fair com- mm-hmm. That's a fair point. Um, I do think that's what you get when you make a scream movie. Uh, I don't yeah, think you can switch to 20, a superhero movie. Twenty twenty two. I don't think get the. Well, they, they that, could but... they could have switched to something really like scary, like a atmospheric, like yeah, the A twenty four. And again, I hope I hope if they make more of these. They give that a try. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a scene where uh, they, uh, because this always happens in a screen movie, where they, mm-hmm. they get the drop on the bad guy. And, and it looks yeah. like they've they've killed the ghost, the person in the ghost face costume, yeah. or it looks like they're knocked out. And, uh, of course, they turn around, and when they turn back, they're gone. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it have been nice if they turn away, they turn back, and there's like four of them. Yeah, some like and, really blow yeah, your and, fucking and, and mind. The, and they turn around and the, the the elevator doors open and there's like four more in the elevator. Yeah. It's like, what the hell is going on? I was here? waiting for like, I, and I so, with, something just actually unexpected. I, I, I keep waiting for like one of these things, like it's going to be like a Wicker Man scenario or something like that, where there's the a whole town, bunch. yeah, a whole like, town that'd be fucked up, faces. right? That'd be scary. Like, there's so many things you could do, but that's my point. There are things you can do with Scream that would still blow your mind. The how come they didn't do them now? I, I get it. I see your point. But I'm I'm reviewing the movie we got. And right. I think and I like the movie we got. Mm-hmm. I would love to see them take this in a different direction next time. And I hope they do. All right. But regardless, we review the movie we get. I like right. the movie we got. I think it is a rock solid screen movie. I think it is one of the better screen movies. And I would say mm-hmm. that even though I like some screen movies more than others, I don't think we've ever had a bad one. I think this is a pretty consistent franchise, and that's a lot right. that I think it's when you have a series, a long-running series of movies, consistency is a lot to ask for, but it's always appreciated. <laughs> that's that's what you get from Final Destination. That's what you get from Tremors. That's what you get from arguably the MCU. That builds a fandom. So I, I, kudos, I, kudos, and honestly, without Wes Craven being able to produce a film that feels like Scream, 
is impressive in and of itself. I, I suppose so, especially since yeah. what, what he did is no longer part of like the, the general cinematic vernacular. No, I feel uh, like, he, I feel like he, some of his movies could be considered a 24 ish. Oh, like yeah. hills, like the hills have eyes, or the the, the uh, even the serpent and the rainbow is sure. a little bit like heady it's, and psychedelic. It's it's clumsy in a lot of ways, but I think uh, um, uh, people under the stairs mm. is something that would still totally play today. People call it two on the nose today. I, I like the people under the stairs. It's an amazing uh, motion picture. It's a real. It's one of his best films. It's a really mm. scary, awesome movie, and I still maintain that as mm. much as I love Scream, arguably his best meta commentary is still New Nightmare. I, Which is I, I like New Nightmare better, even better than I like Scream, and I like yeah. I like the original for me they're Scream on par. It depends on the day, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we haven't had a bad Scream until now. This oh, I, I feel like bad. this is this is not a good film. Uh, it's okay. not adding anything, and I would be okay with it if it were like a, a skilled scary movie. Okay. If it actually did feel brutal or daring or scary in some kind of way, and it mm. just doesn't, it feels really kind of kind of dead. All right, well, we disagree, and uh, that's okay sometimes, isn't it? Um, I'm very curious if we disagree about the next one, because if you want to talk about a sequel to a long-running series that really stinks up the joint, <laughs> let's talk about Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania. Um, I I gotta say, and we've talked about this multiple times whenever it comes up, um, you know, Adam Sandler has gotten a lot of crap throughout a lot of his career for making a lot of, like, lowbrow unambitious mean-spirited often mean-spirited uh uh comedies which just damn it don't really feel like they're trying very hard uh they usually do well uh but there's been this bright shining light in adam sandler's one wonderful exception to all because he'll occasionally pull out a punch drunk glove or uncut gem something like really art house and awesome and he's great at that but like the family friendly thing that he did that was actually really kick ass were the first three Hotel Transylvania movies to one extent or another. They're not all equal. Uh, the first Hotel Transylvania was made by Gendy Tartakovsky. Yeah. Who is uh, he's, just a giant in animation. He did Samurai Jack. Mm. Uh, he did. Um, bah, 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 um, oh, what's that? Um, what's that like caveman one he did recently? It's like, was it like Feral? Or? Oh, um, yeah, I think it was called Feral. I didn't see it, but yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking I'm, about. I'm going to look that up. I just want to make sure. Because I actually haven't seen that yet, but I heard it's Primal. Primal. That's Primal. The one. That's a big. That's a big deal. Um, Gennady Tarkovsky mm. is an animator. Honestly, par excellence. We, we mm. he's he really pushes the medium and he knows what well, what and, he's doing. And uh, Gendy Tarkovsky, if you're familiar with his style, um, he works in very like stark shapes. He likes mm. the sort of uh, early '60s kind of limited animation mm-hmm. uh, shape based character design where everybody is really kind of blocky and a lot of pointed angles. But then he, uh, but then he animates the hell out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the beauty and, of it. And he also is really keen on uh, like really slow, quiet portions mm-hmm. that are punctuated by extended periods of extreme chaos. Yeah. Uh, and his his Clone Wars animated series is so fucking good. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Samurai Jack, and yeah. I'm big, and I, I'm a big fan of the first Hotel Transylvania, even though it's so frantic. Uh-huh. I felt like I didn't have enough sugar in my system to consume <laughs> it properly. Uh, and the premise of the first one is uh, Count Dracula, played by Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. has retired from being a ghoul of the night and now runs a hotel for itinerant monsters who want to go on vacation. Yeah, the idea is that it's hard to be a monster. Humans hate you and they always mm-hmm. want to destroy you. And having a place that you can go to relax mm-hmm. where it's all you're all tucked away. It's like a club med for monsters. Uh, is just something that he, it's a service he feels he can provide at his castle in Transylvania. And um, 
It's really, really cute. He's got a daughter named Mavis, who he's been kind of living a sheltered life. And in the she, first she's movie, in a, a mere one hundred and eighteen, I think. Uh, yeah, like you know, she's in her teens. Uh, and uh, in walks in in that first movie, uh, just a, a hitchhiker, a backpacker. Uh, he's like, yeah. one of those adva- uh, he's clearly modeled off of um, Aaron Ralston from the film 127 Hours <laughs> this sort of like adventure dude like he's yeah. designed he's played by Andy Samberg and yeah, yeah he, he is so uh, like this upbeat hippie guy who's so healthy and into being outdoors yeah. that when he runs into a hotel for monsters he's kind of unfazed yeah at first he's like oh weird but he's like this is awesome mm-hmm. I love all of this also he Instantly falls in love with uh, Count Dracula's daughter, Mavis, who falls, in love, by, who falls in love with him. In turn, uh, she's played by Selena Gomez. Yeah. And uh, it is about can can these two find romance? And can in, Dracula get can Dracula acknowledge that while he has secluded himself, the world has moved on. And in fact, monsters are popular now. Mm. Like monsters are, are drive economies. Uh, and um, Although they, they have things wrong. Dracula does not go blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I never go blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, it's a funny bit. I've never heard anyone say Dracula did that either, which is weird. I don't know. Um, but in any case, the first Hotel Transylvania, fun premise. Well, and, and the, Wonderfully animated I and very, to, very funny. That's the thing I love about I, it. I wanted to say that the, the animation was actually really revolutionary because um, mm. I actually heard Gendy Tartakovsky talk about it. Yeah. Uh, CGI is, uh, in his words, they're like puppets. Yeah. Where That's you, how people use them. You create a model yeah, and then and, you just And you can, you can kind them. of like stretch them as much as you would stretch a puppet, but there's a limit to what you can do. And he mm. wanted to, to change that about CG animation. Could he do it? Because uh, he was used to doing cell animation. And uh, I think Hotel Transylvania does. Yeah. It finds this balance where you can do sort of uh, actual characters in a 3D space. You can just kind of rotate the camera around them. But at the same time, he's good with like sort of stark profiles and these weird sort of uh, color uses of color and shape mm-hmm. that aren't ordinarily seen in CGI features. It's, it's more Looney Tune than Pixar. Yeah, I think between yeah. Hotel Transylvania... Uh, Peanuts and Captain Underpants mm-hmm. uh, that a little bit more of a cart- an old fashioned cartoony style yeah. started working its way into CG yeah uh, and and it was a relief because it was great to look at yeah. and that's true for Hotel Transylvania 2 which is basically uh, they uh, the Andy Samberg and Selena Gomez's characters they have a kid Dracula has to get used to that idea and will there will the kid be a vampire or a human um, you know, it's always had this kind of weird guess who's coming to dinner vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a particularly memorable film, but it's also funny and light and it mostly works. Um, the third one is basically a throwaway. It's just, it's just uh, Hey, what if we put all the characters on a cruise ship? Well, there, which is basically uh, like a sitcom plot. I haven't seen the third one, but yeah, yeah it's a sitcom plot. And th- one of the gags of the hotel Transylvania movies is that count Dracula is just a dippy sitcom dad. Yeah. Uh, and fine, that's the premise of the monsters. The, the, whole, uh, the whole premise with Dracula, like his whole hang-up after he gets over the whole humans thing, mm. uh, is he's terrified of confrontation. <laughs> that's it. That everything he does, he's he's afraid of telling Mavis an unpleasant truth mm. or something awkward. He's in uh, Hotel Transylvania three. He falls in love with uh, Van, Van Helsing's daughter or granddaughter, mm. uh, and he's afraid to talk to her. Like he's just can't handle emotional confrontation or anything that like. Might make him look imperfect. Uh, the, um, uh, so here we are to Hotel Transylvania Transformania, mm-hmm. and it is 
uh, the cusp of Dracula's retirement. He's now living with the the Catherine Hahn character, mm. Van Helsing's daughter or granddaughter. Yeah. Van Helsing is in this. I, I hadn't seen the third, so I didn't know the deal with Van Helsing. Oh, that must have been but weird. He's a severed head. Yeah. Who has like a, a transforming robot body and yeah, a lab he's a in cyborg. the ho- and a lab in the hotel. He's played yeah. by Jim Gaffigan. Uh, one of the uh, cute visual uh, bits in this one is that. Uh, he has this series of tunnels that can, he can only fit through if he transforms in a certain way. Yeah. And it's, it makes for this kind of interesting uh, visual flow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the very beginning of the movie, in order to celebrate, I think it's his anniversary of the hotel, uh, yeah. the Andy Samberg character, the human character, decides to throw a big party and it's a big, big and showy and has an ice sculpture and uh, fire juggling and he, uh, Dracula doesn't like this at all. Mm. It's not classy. Uh, yeah, he, he feels like he's not uh, not a classy guy, and so he starts to have second thoughts about retiring from the hotel business and leaving the hotel to his daughter and her husband. Yeah, uh, and when when when, when, this, when they find out yeah. a little early, uh, Andy Samberg's character goes up to Dracula and says, "Thank you, thank you. I promise I won't I won't screw this up." And immediately talks about how he's almost certainly going to screw this up. And Dracula says, "Oh no 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 no! I I wanted to, uh, but, cha- but he, he's changed his mind. He he, he makes up." A fictional racist real estate law. Yes. That says you're not allowed to leave monster property to humans. And that's something they will not unpack. No, not they will at all. not it's... even talk about that. The, uh, this is this is very uh, this is you know the monster mash. This is the yeah. monsters. This is monster squad. This is a very kiddie understanding of the way monsters operate. Yeah, I get it. Uh, they're not really dangerous. Um, yeah. And uh, over the plot of this movie, for instance, um, Van Helsing has a magic crystal that can turn humans into monsters, and vice versa. And, yeah. Uh, both uh, Andy Samberg and, says, oh, "I know what I'll do. I'll shoot myself with this thing and become a monster." All problems solved. Mm-hmm. Dracula finds out about this and he's trying to turn Andy Samberg back human before Mavis finds out because Dracula can't handle confrontation. And in the process, he accidentally transforms himself and some of the other main monsters into humans. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to get at is that he's a vampire, right? Yeah. How do you become a vampire? You get bit by a vampire. I know. Yeah. Just you're, you're surrounded by other vampires. I just know. ask one of them. The whole, the whole thing is, the whole thing is, oh no, I've been turned into a human and the crystal that works, makes this ray gun work uh, is and rare. It, and of course it breaks and it's rare yeah. and they have to and go it, on they, a trip they have to, to go, go to South one. America, like all the way around the world in order to get this crystal, fix it, turn Dracula back into a monster uh, before Mavis finds out. Um, you Have Mavis bite you. Just say, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a human. Bite me. It's, it's and it's not like the, it's not like the ray gun like doesn't work that way. Like, oh, you can only be turned back into a ray gun because there's a gag. It's one of only two funny gags in the movie mm. where uh, the, when a stray blast from the ray gun hits one of Dracula's zombie bellhops. Oh, <laughs> and turns and the, him into a human. And turns him into a human. Like, oh my god, I'm human again. The nightmare my- is over. <laughs> and, then an- and then another zombie bellhop just immediately bites him and he turns into a zombie again. And he goes, eh, it's a living. Uh, and he goes back to his shit. Uh, like, there, there, yeah. There's a few fun visual. Uh, just a few, but a few fun visual things in here. That that zombie bit was funny. Yeah. Um, in order to test the monster ray, they zap a guinea pig, and yeah. and it, that becomes a running gag that the guinea pig yeah. becomes more and more monstrous. And they end up uh, like scaring it into the ducts. And I feel like, oh no, it's you're gonna have a ductwork sequence where people yeah. are crawling through ductwork, but they Never end up just together, connecting yeah. it together to like a big hamster habit trail. I thought that was yeah. kind of cute. Uh, There's but, a, a, yeah. some visual fun visual stuff uh, near the end of the movie when all of the monsters now humans are in an ice cave and they use mm. sort of like 
refracting images to sort of like make the chase uh, seem like it's happening from several angles at the same but time. But that feels like they're just they're just desperately trying to polish this turd. Well, this is not Gendy Tartakovsky directing. Uh, yeah. It's it's Gendy Tartakovsky's story. And he he uh, is one of the co-screenwriters. But this is a different animator trying to do the same thing. And I, I feel like... Let me look up the director's names. It's uh, um, two directors, actually. Yeah, they're, it's, um, uh, uh, Jennifer Kleska and Derek Dryman. Okay. Uh, they do a capable job of making uh, you know an affable kid... Uh, it's energetic. Kid, an energetic kid movie. But they don't... They clearly don't have the same sense of style as well, Gendy Tartakovsky. It's not even just the style. Just the story just doesn't work here. Like, on top of... The fact that this is a gigantic plot hole, and like even like after Mavis finds out, mm. and a lot of the problems bite him be so- at that moment, bite, yeah. him, bite his bite his pinky, whatever. But, Make but it again, doesn't this, have to be weird Why because this is this? a kid version of these monsters. Yeah. They don't actually drink blood, but they that, zombies don't eat human flesh. But we saw a zombie bite a guy. Yeah, that's true. Why not? It doesn't there's fucking a, matter. And there's a few setups for gags that don't pay off. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I wish we had known a little bit more about the blob. The blob, yeah. the blob drinks some uh, magic potion that turns it into not a person, uh-huh. but a, a jello mold. Apparently, uh, that's what it was originally it was, before it was it a turned into a monster. It was a jello mold. That raises a lot of questions. I, I want to know it? that story. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, the 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 blob is the funniest thing about Hotel Transylvania. It's like the, three. Re- the like wrench and freaked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a, there's in the movie Freaked. There's a flashback from a wrench and how it started out as a hammer. No, it started as a wrench and oh, it became a hammer. Apologies. It started as a, started as a wrench we, and then we, it was horrifically mutated every, by a madman. Everybody's telling their backstories like, oh yes, I came here when I was searching for worms and he turned me into a worm and they pan over to the next guy. Yes, and I was turned into a sock and they pan over to a hammer on the ground and we see the flashback and it's the bad guy shopping at a, a hardware store. He grabs a wrench off the shelf and just laughs maniacally. <laughs> Fade back to the the hammer and everybody's sobbing. Like that's the sad one. Um, so the plot, the main plot doesn't work. We a lot of people talk about like all oh, the cinema sins thing. Like oh, plot holes. That's a huge plot hole. Well, it's like it's gigantic and it's right there in your face. It would be and like it's something a little kid would notice. It's not. Yeah. It's not a. It's not small. Like it's really kind of everything kind of hinges on it. Um, the whole idea of oh, will Dracula accept this guy as part of the family? Uh, this is the fourth movie about that, mm. and I think we kind of are past it now. Uh, I get that they always have personalities that will clash, but the whole will I accept you as part of the family? No, we did that three times mm. already. We can we can move on now. Like that itself is well, just really the... really tired. And then on top of it all. There's this whole bit where the monster that uh, Andy Samberg's character turns into... He turns into a dragon. He turns into a dragon, and over the course of the film, he keeps growing bigger and bigger until he's like the size of Godzilla, which is a funny idea in theory. Um, in practice... Godzilla hates Dracula. First off, Godzilla imagine- versus Dracula is a fun idea. Mm. That's I would like to see that, but we're not going to really get that, because the whole thing is, when he finds out that Dracula like only made up that lie and like mm. was never wanting to give him the hotel and everything like that, he, he runs he off res- all super resent, angry. resents that he's not part of the family. And I get it. You want to set up Dracula versus Godzilla at the end there. Cool. Awesome. The problem is, is that the person who runs after him isn't Dracula, it's Mavis, and he starts attacking Mavis, mm. and that makes me hate him. <laughs> you're telling me you're mad at you're mad at a drac at, at her father, and you're going to take it out on your wife. I get that he's a monster, but they, it's still they, a they, weird. They it's do still the a hypnotic weird, thing. They've like, his a, eyes turn red. He's clearly a, losing humanity. It's a yeah. weird note to strike in a kid's right. movie. 
I suppose that's so. all I'm saying. That's a weird note to strike. I don't think it plays. The the simplicity of the story is kind of what we need in Hotel Transylvania. We just need a setup for gags. The setup sucks. The gags don't work. And even the baseline characters are either going through something we've seen them do before and better, or they just don't make sense. Mm. Nothing about this movie works. Uh, th- there's so many things you could have done with the characters turning into humans. Yes! Uh, and, and vice versa! Uh, one of the gags is, uh, I, I do like the, the bit that the invisible man isn't used to wearing clothes. Yeah. He's just naked all the time. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Give you some uh, of that. And, and in fact, the, when he appears, uh, th- this is a cute uh, visual bit, we see his butt first, uh. and we see like two gigantic, like, it looks like a butt. Like yeah. the, the two we butt cheeks butt. kind of like rammed together right in front of the camera. It's yeah. like, it's pretty raw for a kid's film. Honestly, it is. Uh, it's a the, bit much, honestly, but like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's a little bit, little bits here and there of creativity that yeah. are are keeping it from being well, a complete wash. We, we, but we, we run it. But I this, agree. I agree with you yeah. that if you're going to have a, a premise as simple as this, yeah. Monster Ray, you need to hang. Uh, you, you need to just crack the whip on the gags. Well, because have joke after joke after joke. When you when you there's there's a bit, and oftentimes in screenwriting, it's called the fun and games, where like. After you introduce the premise of the film and you can finally like delve into it, like there's a moment where everyone's like, should we or should we not engage with the plot? And then when they decide, okay, we will accept this call to action or we will accept this quest or we will accept what has happened to us. Um, and then you can just have fun for a few for a few minutes, hmm. you know, 15, 20 minutes of, okay, so our monsters have become human. Okay, what would they want to do? I don't think they're going to want to go on a quest in South in the jungles of South America and not interact with people. The whole point of these monsters and the whole hotel is that they can't. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funnier to see them actually go out into the human world mm. and get to be human for a bit and have that culture clash? Mm. Wouldn't it be funny to see some humans besides Andy Samberg Turn, in, turn into hmm. monsters and get to interact with monsters. That's the premise. Frankenstein's, That's the fun. Frankenstein's monster yeah. joins a sewing club, sews the people together. That's kind of funny. <laughs> there's, there's funny stuff you can yeah. do here. But the plot involves, like, we got to go on a quest for a magic crystal, mm. and there's got to be, like, like, these roller coaster it's, sequences. It's too adventure It's uh, all about the plot, and yeah, it's not about yeah. the premise. And the premise is not a bad premise for a Hotel Transylvania movie, but they do nothing with it. Hmm. That sucks. <laughs> like I know you weren't impressed by Scream, but at least we got the kills. <laughs> at least we got the at least we got the whodunit. At least we uh, got the the soap opera shit. At least one, they uh, gave you what you wanted from uh, the movie. Nothing in this movie is what I want from a Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, movie. well, what I want is more laughs from a Hotel yeah. Transylvania movie. And overall, this one's pretty disappointing. It, it feels a little bit too plain. Yeah. Uh, especially when compared to how frantic uh, the at least the first two are. I haven't seen yeah. the third. Uh, but yeah, that like I said, that first one you it, you, you it, need to like. Drink a lot of cola. Even <laughs> even Hotel Transylvania 3, which is really fucking thin. Mm. It's basically like a sitcom. Like, oh, hey, what's going to happen on the season finale of Friends? They're all going to be on a cruise ship. Okay, I can imagine Dracula, what they do on a cruise ship. Dracula's on a cruise. Is there a gag about him needing to travel with uh, coffins full of earth? Ah, something like that. I there should have been. Anyway, it, my uh, point is this. They think about what would... Monsters on a cruise ship, mm. what are the gags? They thought out the gags. They gave us the gags. It's not a brilliant movie, but I laughed. Hmm. 
That's all I fucking want here. That's all. If these are all basically of, sitcoms, mm. just make, give me a good sitcom. You got to wait years in between these things. Give me some fucking jokes. They didn't give me the fucking uh, jokes. I, this sucks. Yeah, the, and these movies are hits. And this was going yeah. to be a theatrical release. Um, Sony sold these movies to Amazon for like a hundred yeah. million dollars. And yeah. they sold uh, some stuff to Netflix too. That's how the yeah, Mitchells and Machines got made. There you yeah. go. Uh, and um, there's going to be another. They've already I'm uh, sure there, there is. there's already another Hotel Transylvania in production. There's a TV series as mm-hmm. well. So these things are going to continue apace. Yeah. Let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that this one was the misguided one, mm-hmm. and that they get back to sort of the more comedic roots. I Why know Gen- Gendy Tartakovsky is going to be involved uh, moving mm-hmm. forward. I don't know who's directing the next one. Yeah. Um, the, the, the other people besides Gendy Tartakovsky can make good animated. The, the idea of having kid friendly versions of classic Universal monsters is a con- concept as old as the Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. And uh, heck, it's as old it's as a, Abbott Costello. Abbott Costello. Yeah. I think that's where they, that's where we started doing that mm-hmm. in earnest. Yeah, where we can take these really well-known uh, movie figures from the, the the 30s and 40s and turn them into comedic foils. As, as great as Hotel Transylvania characters. and its and its first two sequels are, none of them are as funny as Bela Lugosi taking off his shoe and throwing it at the Wolfman. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's still one of the. That's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen in any movie is Bela Lugosi as Dracula being chased around the house by a wolfman, taking off his shoe and throwing it at the wolfman. <laughs> ah, shoes! My one weakness! Ah! You win this round, Dracula! Uh, it's, I, I re- re- recalling a scene from... Uh, of all things, Masters of the Universe. Okay, the, the movie? Can- the canon movie. Okay. Where a monster is attacking uh, one of the human characters and he throws a rag at him. Like he's oh, in the yeah. kitchen, he's just got a wet rag. He just throws it at the monster. And I, I would, I, would I just this. I just would have loved to have the scene the monster just sort of like grab the rag and fall backward and like, like melt. Assume, it, like, assume it's something like, ah. it's like Oh wow, it's a good thing I threw a rag at the monster. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's let's move on to uh, another film. Because another animated I th- film. I think we've seen said everything we need to say uh, about the fourth Hotel Transylvania. Uh, the, the next film is a film from a director who I've called, and I will still say, hmm. my favorite living director. Okay. Uh, Mamoru Hosoda, uh, who has directed uh, some of the best animated movies of the last ten years or so. Hmm. Uh, Summer Wars is one of my very favorite films. Uh the Boy and the Beast is one of my very favorite films. Uh, Wolf Children is one of my very favorite films. Uh, Mirai is not one of my favorite films, but it's an excellent motion picture mm-hmm. about childhood. He makes these incredible films that are very imaginative and they're about um, science fiction or fantasy concepts, but they're always gr- uh, grounded or rooted in something deeply human and humane, something very universal about the yeah. human experience. I haven't seen Summer Wars, and I haven't yeah. seen The Boy and the Beast. Okay. Um, I think Wolf Children is very sweet. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not as uh, not under its spell the same way you are. Fair. Um, uh, that's that's a strong. Most of his films deal with uh, the concerns of younger people, the the, mm-hmm. the fragile emotional states of the young of youths, mm-hmm. particularly uh, in, involved in uh, family dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mirai is one of the few films I've seen that tries to tell a story from within the mind of a toddler yeah, and uh, kind of how strange and bizarre the world seems when you're that little. Cause if you cast your mind back, you might have strange perceptions of whether the, yeah, the way the world operated, your, your, your knowledge of the way the world operates yeah, the, is very, very limited and you're trying a, to figure it out. There's a scene where the, the toddler is lost at a train station and oh, it God. turns into one of the most nightmarish things you will see on film. That sequence is amazing. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really, really great. And, um, 
here he is back telling another story of adolescent angst. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about a a teenage girl. uh, And there's also a science fiction conceit here. So it's about a teenage girl. She's going to school and she is uh, suffering through the loss of her mother who who died when she was younger. And she still feels the the ache of it even years later. Uh, And... Uh, in this world, there is also operating uh, essentially Ready Player One. You yeah. can put in these little earpieces, and uh, uh, this artificial intelligence will, I guess, sort of in a great pumpkin sort of way, intuit your like what your sincere your sincere form looks like. Yeah, though you you, create, you don't create your own avatar. Yeah. An avatar is created for you out of yeah. your personality. Yeah, and she yeah. Uh, she even though she she's very shy and she. Uh, has trouble talking to people and is very down on herself as well. Uh, this artificial intelligence creates for her essentially a singing Barbie doll. Yeah, and a, uh, a beautiful yeah. avatar uh, who, and because she herself is a musician, yeah. uh, and but she's ever since her mother died, she's struggled to create music. Um, now that she's and this avatar, she's not herself. Mm-hmm. She's got that uh, you know that sort of veil. Um, she's able to finally sing. Hmm. Again, and it turns out people love her singing, and very she, uh, quickly she becomes the most famous singer in the world. And she's well, still in uh, high school, and nobody knows who she is. She's internet famous, which that's almost like being famous. Uh, right. Well, in this universe, yeah, and, and it's this, a big deal. In this universe, and it, this is all, all, of course, very, uh, very akin to sort of Instagram fame, uh, mm-hmm. getting a lot of likes. Uh, mm-hmm. This doesn't mean any money or fame for her because she's mm-hmm. in disguise this whole time. But right, but her music but she, is reaching an audience. She, she's she's being validated through this virtual experience, and um, and I'm uh, with in, the movie so, so far. So yeah, okay, I'm with you. This is Gem and the Holograms. Uh-huh. But it's good. Uh, it's good during, so far. There are some self-appointed superhero police mm-hmm. within this uh, virtual world as well. Mm-hmm. They, they're they the ones who are like the action junkies. They want to mm-hmm. they want to fight. And their big superpower uh, is they can dox you. That's yeah. They can yeah. Re- they can reveal your true identity. Yeah. So that like if you do something that like is like really detrimental to what they perceive as the framework of online society, they can remove your anonymity and expose you for who you really are. And they're, the idea is that that uh, will that will eliminate your power within this space. So they're they're not employees of whatever company is running this. No, we they're freelance. Yeah, we don't get to know like who built this or what or what it is or why, but no. uh, it, it is some big. It's Let's, a big question, honestly, that probably should have been answered. Probably, yeah. Like, who, who, what company runs this? Anyway. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I needed and, to be the plot, but I think I needed some answers While that, While yeah. she's in the virtual world giving a virtual concert, wouldn't you know it, a beast arrives. And it's mm-hmm. this big monster with horns. And uh, it's it's essentially a, a troll uh, yeah. trying to wreck the concert. It's an internet troll. And she, it turns out she, uh, this thing, this troll, this beast, uh, nobody knows who it is either, and there mm. people are really fascinated by the beast. How dare it interrupt something so pleasant as this concert? Uh, she ends up trying to track the beast down and finds it in a big uh, castle. Wouldn't you know it? Now we're in Beauty and the Beast. It's the Beauty yeah. and the Beast story, and she realizes that this internet troll is really a oh, it's a human being, obviously. Mm. Uh, and it's someone who is deeply wounded and is actually probably someone in need of very real life yeah. help. But I'm not going to go any further in the plot. Because we're, go- we're going to, because we're yeah. these things are created out of your subconscious. Mm-hmm. The subconscious of this guy looks like a beast. Uh, um, wouldn't have been keen if the twist were uh, he were a serial killer. <laughs> it's nothing so dark. Yeah, uh, it's actually far uh, far more commonplace. Um, in fact, uh, I would I was with this movie up until a point. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like that they weren't addressing sort of the nature of 
how the real world and this fantasy world interplay with one another. It's just yeah. sort of about how she's getting a lot of validation from this online experience, which could yeah. be seen as just a more advanced version of being on social media and how there's trolls on social media. It's a big commentary on social media. But then we start getting into some pretty heavy after school special type of melodrama yeah. within this teenager's melodrama. And I understand that when you are a teenager, drama does seem much larger. Everything, you know, every perceived slight seems much bigger than it, it might be yeah. in re- the real world. That's why we have the whole young adult subgenre, basically. Yeah, that's why that's why everything feels like post-apocalyptic and, or and monstrous. Is because that's how it feels. And indeed, I was thinking of the movie Twilight uh, while I was watching Belle in, in that the romance and the angst and you know, your facing of death feels so much larger to this like enormous degree. Uh, and there are a few sweet moments in the real world where we get are reminded uh, vaguely that these teenager characters are teenagers. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit where uh, a young boy has to reveal that he has a crush on a young girl and he just sort of freezes. And the, you, oh, it's at the train at the, station? At the train station. Oh my God, this sequence and, uh, is... I, I'm not I, a huge I fan thought, of this movie. I thought my screener had frozen. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> I was watching on a screener. This, this, there's a scene in this movie that takes place at a train station mm-hmm. and this is... A, you know, Mamar Husoda is a brilliant visual storyteller. He's very imaginative and he uses uh, incredible camera work and color and... Uh, design to uh, really make everything pop. There's a scene in this movie, an extended scene that is only from one angle and huge chunks of it. Nobody's moving because everyone is so mortified <laughs> by the by the the sudden displays of emotion or revelations of who has a crush on who, uh, and it forces you to stop and just sit there and wallow. In how awkward it is to be a teenager, like actually reaching out to someone in the real world, hmm. that bit is masterful. The, the um, level of control hmm. and the confidence you have to be able to have to be able to have hmm. to let a whole scene play out like that in any medium, let alone animation, astonishing, yeah, astonishing, they, like really that, good. That it's it's a cute moment, uh, and it, and this film could have used uh, a couple dozen more of those because yeah. it's it's mostly takes place in this virtual world and Mamoru Hosoda as really focusing in on just sort of the, the variety of characters that mm-hmm. live in this world. And they just sort of float around in a cloud. They don't do anything. <sighs> I know. They just sort of, and they leave comments on other people. Like yeah. the actual mechanics of this doesn't make a lot of sense. They're not. And when we're in there, it's just a lot of, it's just a big visual cacophony. It's it's things. And it, it bothers me because it's, it, it, Mamoru Sona, I mean, he made he made Digimon, which I'm I I haven't watched. I'll, I I know a lot of people love Digimon; it's a big deal. I haven't watched Digimon. I'm sorry. I know that his film Summer Wars is very Digimon esque, mm. and I know it's very inspired by stories he wanted to tell in Digimon, and he's telling them in a different way. Uh, but uh, my introduction to Mamoru Sona is in the film Summer Wars. The movie's over ten years old now. Um, Summer Wars, and I'm bringing this up because it connects to Bell. Uh, Summer Wars it also takes place. It's semi futuristic. Uh, there is a new social media uh, network, uh, which is basically the whole internet of the entire planet. Everything is interconnected here. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie takes place at a family reunion, uh, and a guy has been asked to impersonate a young girl's uh, boyfriend uh, because her grandmother is probably dying. She's very, very old, and she just wants to be able to say to her grandmother, see, you don't have to worry about me. I found love. So he agrees to impersonate a boyfriend for a weekend 
It's already awkward. But wouldn't you know it, also that weekend, uh, a, an artificially intelligent virus infects the internet. <laughs> oh, jeez. And it's going to destroy the entire planet, and somehow it all connects to everything going on at this extended family reunion. That sounds like a weird premise, but Mamoru Hosoda so expertly equates online life, online interconnectivity hmm. with having an extended family. That all of a sudden, this extremely yeah, yeah. abstract, broad, and very problematic concept that we have of the internet feels intimate and human. And that's something that he struggles with here. Because this movie takes place so much online and involves so many mechanics which are poorly explained or explored that the allegory gets really lost after a while yeah, or, yeah. or they're going pure allegory when I still have legitimate mechanical questions that are completely distracting. Mm. And the way that the story kind of evolves and moves away from a very pure and simple setup and gets kind of stuck in the weeds of this fairy tale conceit, which is pretty clunkily added on halfway into the movie. Um, I don't quite buy it. And I don't really buy the relationships that uh, build in this uh, uh, internet world. And I think this movie really, really struck. I think there's interesting stuff here. It's not a complete watch, but I think this movie really struggles to find its footing. And it's it's the only well, member of sort of film I've ever seen that just doesn't feel sure of itself. It, it and it's not just the technical stuff. I feel like a lot of the the. Um social and moral ethical questions aren't really well thought out either. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, without revealing too much about the plot, this is a movie where uh, an abusive parent can be deprogrammed with a stern look. Uh, yeah, th that's, this that's, is, that's naive. It's incredibly naive. Yeah. And in fact, its view of the internet in 2022 is mm -hmm. also incredibly naive. This idea yeah. that we can connect with each other now. Yeah, no shit, that's 25 years ago. Yeah. We've learned sort of like yeah. the horrible trenches and the dark corners of the internet and what kind of damage it can do. Yeah. Trying to tell a story about if we have a more advanced version of it, it'll be better again somehow. See, that's, and that's the thing. Summer uh, Wars yeah. 10 years ago mm -hmm. told a story about this, about how the internet can be weaponized and we can lose track of it. And mm -hmm. at the end of that movie, when the internet actually is able to briefly, briefly come together and do something as a globe. Mm -hmm it feels nearly impossible and it feels earned and it feels rare. And you know, this isn't going to be the norm, but it means that much more Yeah, that it was possible to do the right thing on the internet. And he knows how difficult it is here. It seems like he doesn't know how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. It seems like it, it, she, he's arguing it should be easier. Maybe it should be. Yeah, it should be, but it loses its connection to, a reality it ceases to function as a meaningful allegory and ends up at best becoming as you said an after school special mm -hmm. about serious issues that are overly and he handles them in an overly reductive way, way. oversimplified way oversimplified like in, a way, in a way that makes them useless there's um there are certain conceits uh like certain certain dark things that happen in the real world mm -hmm. you know you know with death and abuse and harming other people yeah. uh and those are fine things to make movies about especially yeah. if we're going to actually confront those things uh, but some of those things can be used so much that they become movie cliches and they become weaponized as cheap plot points. Um, a character getting cancer, for instance. Sure. Getting cancer in the real world is, is a tough thing. It's and a it's, horrible thing. And and it's, it's a real thing. To, and, yeah. and it's something that it's okay to tell a story about and have an yeah. experience about. But it happens so often in movies that when 
you know, stepmom steps forward and says it. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is dumb now. It's being used it's not being used it's, so. Uh, it's irres- being used in repli- yeah. It's being used in replace of genuine drama. Yeah, it's basically yeah. I'm going to remind you of something that involves genuine drama that probably, depending on who you are and how long you've been on this earth, you've. You had some experience with this personally, and you can just sort of substitute that in. Mm. And I don't need, I, the filmmaker, I don't need to actually do the work anymore. Yeah, I can yeah. just say the C word, and now all of a sudden you know someone who died from that or something, and it's like, ah, okay, great. Now, so much now easier this, for now me. Now this is meaningful. It's yeah. not. No, it's, it's, it's yeah. actually lazy, shitty writing, and it's really reductive to the and, human and experience. That's... You actually, every single time you do something like that, you still have to do the work. Mm. And, uh... Yeah, so when when certain things come up, certain very real dramatic things, I I you know in the theater I sound like a jerk for laughing at it. Yeah, but I am also an you're experienced enough film watcher to understand how cynical it is to use that as a plot you're, point. You're, you're chuckling, and it, it, it's it's not cool actually. But like you know, but you're chuckling. Well, you're chuckling because you're not invested in the narrative. Mm. You're only looking at it from the perspective of someone who knows how films are made. Mm. And I was I was hearing a story uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich wrote about where um, he went to a screening of the movie The Trial with okay. Orson Welles. Orson Welles directed an adaptation of this Kafka story, The Trial. Um, Kafka wrote a story about a guy who was on trial and he's not even sure for what. Like, that's how Kafka-esque this Kafka story is. <laughs> um, and the whole thing is that Orson Welles explained to Peter Bogdanovich, like, nobody knows that movie's supposed to be funny. Like everyone's like, oh, how serious and dramatic! Like, no, 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 it's it's absurdist. How fucked up the bureaucracy is! Like you're supposed to be able, to, like it's so oppressive that it's funny, and people aren't letting themselves laugh at it. So they talk about a scene where they both go to a screening of the trial, and they are laughing, mm. and everyone in the theater is mad sure at Orson Welles <laughs> because he doesn't get the film because Orson Welles knows, like, no, I'm looking at the form here, the fact that everything. The world keeps shitting on Anthony Perkins in that movie. It's supposed to be funny after a while. Mm. You have to have some sense of how the movie is being perceived. Anyway, Bell, I, I, I don't want to write it off entirely because there's too but much I, interesting I brought, craft in I it. I brought but that like, up because yeah. there is something in this film that yeah. feels it, it feels like a cheap shot. Yeah, it's it's this really cheap way to manufacture <sighs> drama. Yeah. without actually dealing with it in a real world sort of way. Yeah, I agree. Or uh, exploring the actual complexity and emotions and horrors that go into the thing that it brought up. Yeah, and instead says that. It's pretty easy. It, it offers this really oversimplified, mm-hmm. technologically based solution, uh, essentially arguing that it can easily be solved. And that's just irresponsible. Th- that rubs me the wrong way. I think it's irresponsible. It's yeah. it's not it's not practical. It's not plausible. It's not it's something that people at home can't really use. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the problem. It's like it's maybe the situation but, is different, but when a movie is dealing in. Because again, this is kind of a take on Beauty and the Beast. It's a fable. It deals with a certain form of, uh, maybe not narrative simplicity because he's making it overly complicated, but certainly a form of emotional simplicity. Hmm. Um, That needs to connect in such a way that people in the audience can do something with it. There's nothing really it can do with Belle. Um, I appreciate what, I I think it starts off really strong. I think the idea of basically taking this ready player one virtual world 
and talking about how this is a place where uh, introverts, artists who feel like they've lost connection to their craft can have like a fresh start and they can like find a new identity for themselves. And we can talk about the nature of that identity. There's a subplot, which really doesn't go very far about how, because the protagonist really idolizes this other girl in her class who seems like she's super popular and got it all together. Um, that her avatar bell mm. looks like her. Yeah. Like actually looks more like her friend at school than it does like her. So much more you could have done with that. They, like they don't even address that. They barely address that. Like at all. They forget about it after a while. There's so much the, before the beast thing comes along, this is so much more interesting and so much more engaging. And the allegory is actually really effective. And then once the beast comes along, it just gets distracted. And I, I know that this is like, this is this is the telling of Beauty and the Beast. That's where this came from. But there's a, there's an expression in screenwriting called uh, "kill your darlings," where sometimes the reason why you started writing something is the thing holding it back. Once mm. you start developing it more, you realize that there's something else about it that is more important or interesting or cohesive, and the whole reason that you were there in the first place no longer fits in the story that you're telling. Uh, I'm not so egomaniacal that I would tell Mama Soda that that's what's <laughs> that, going on here. How to make his movie. But it feels like it. It feels like the Beauty and the Beast thing that is the reason why we're here is holding back all the stuff that isn't that. Because mm. that actual stuff is clunky. Mm. And it doesn't really fit in the framework of everything else that we're telling very well. So this is a this is a bummer. I'm trying to say disappointment because I don't like to like come up with the idea like, oh, Mamre Hussar's got a new movie. It's going to be brilliant. Well, I had high hopes because I love his movies. It, it's fair. It's but, fair to make certain assumptions about mm, a, 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 you know. When the film starts, you have to put whatever assumptions you yeah. have aside and let the film say what it has to say. I, when, when you have but, a filmmaker uh, whose work you love, mm. you hope that the next one you'll love too. Mm. But you have to deal with what it is. And what this one is, is... It's, it's his worst movie so far, honestly. It's not particularly good, yeah, unfortunately. I, like I said, I haven't seen his other movies. Maybe, maybe I'll yeah. have some sort of toxic reaction to The Boy and the Beast. Mm. Um, oh, that's uh, one of my favorite movies about fatherhood. That movie, that movie makes me <laughs> cry like, a, like, like, a, yeah. oof, like nobody's like business. I, like I said, I, I do really like Mirai, and I, yeah. I think Wolf Children is perfectly sweet. Uh, okay. there, there's a, a sequence near the beginning where they're just fixing up a house. Yeah. It's nothing to do with wolves at all. It's just getting the house ready for living in. That yeah. is is some of the better animation I've seen, just yeah. in terms of texture and timing and changing, just and lovely. just the beauty yeah. of the of it all. Uh, very very good director, but yeah, there's just this is a mess. It, it feels way too adolescent. It feels like they're not thinking stuff out. Yeah. Uh, it's just not. It's just not a good movie. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, well, anyway, let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Once again, uh, we review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. Uh, the lowest score a movie can get is a C minus. That is below average. That's everything from eh, we didn't like it to the worst movie ever made. Uh, most movies would get somewhere around a C. That's some good, some bad. Maybe it's a recommendation for a very specific audience, but generally speaking, not that great. C average. Mm. Above average is a C plus, and that means we either recommend it or think it's the best movie ever made, or somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really really good is what we're saying um and uh so uh on that scale uh, whitney what do you give bell i give bell a c minus mm. uh 
some cool creative visuals, but mm. that it's not enough to recommend. It's not so dazzling that I think you should go in just for the visual stuff. Yeah, I I, I, I dislike having to give this a C minus just because I'm such a fan. But like, mm. this is a high C minus. I do think there's some mm. good animation in here, and there's some good ideas in there somewhere, but none of them come together terribly well, and it's a real bummer. Uh, so yeah, this is a C minus. Mm. Uh, Hotel Transylvania Four Transformania, uh, also a C minus. Not yeah. not enough comedy. Uh, a f- like I said, a few clever bits. Mm-hmm. I- I'm just reminded of the the scene where um, the vampire bat, in order mm-hmm. to uh, ev- evade being in sunlight, has to hide behind things that are sort of falling through the air. And one ca- uh, one of the monsters has to throw its own severed head, and it's like hiding behind the severed head as it flies through the air. I thought that was kind of a yeah, there's some, there's cute some fun visual di- dynamism to that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not terribly funny, and yeah. it's not as energetic as the other ones. So it's a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, I, I, it's a big C minus for me as well. Uh, the the premise of the plot is fine, but then much like Bell, it doesn't do anything with it. It ends mm-hmm. up going off in another direction that we didn't need the good setup to get to. And then once we're there, it's not good. And uh, Bell wasn't supposed to be funny, but Hotel Transylvania is trying to make a lot of jokes and I laughed twice. Mm. That's not a good, that's, that's a yeah. really bad ratio. <laughs> so, and I, and again, even the third one, which is really disposable. I laughed a mm. lot. This one's a bummer. And uh, then finally, uh, Scream, the mm. new Scream, Whitney. The new, the new Scream, I also give a C minus. This is just uh, a big old, big old goose egg of a week. Whitney, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I feel like there's just not enough energy, not enough wit, uh, not enough originality to uh, what could be done with a series that sort of lives and dies by its commentary on where horror is. And I mm. feel like this could have delved far deeper. It could have uh, dispensed with a lot of the soap opera stuff. It could have had a little bit more fun with its kills, uh, maybe a little bit more brutality. There's plenty of blood, but more in there. <clears throat> get, get some, get some severed hands and rubber arms and <laughs> knives in the eye. You know, really, really gory you can think of stuff. Saw at that point. All right. Yeah. Well, for me, it's a big old C plus. Oh golly! Uh, right. I like this scream a lot. I, I think this movie understands that scream has to serve a lot of different things at once. It needs to be a whodunit. It needs to be a slasher. It needs to be violent. It needs to be funny. It needs to have a soap opera element. It needs to be an ensemble drama. Uh, it needs to be a lot of different things at once. And I think mm-hmm. it handles that balance really, really well. Um, I cared about the new cast more than I've cared about the new cast of any Scream since Scream. <laughs> okay. uh, so, like, I really was more invested in who lived and who died. And when they died, and it was, like, really really fucked up some of the deaths like not necessarily because they were like you know elaborate but just because they were slow and sad and painful um it meant more to me okay. uh so i think this is a very very strong entry in scream uh and i i really like it a lot and uh sometimes whitney and i disagree doesn't mean one of us is wrong hmm. maybe except william's wrong Except Whitney's wrong. Uh, but that is it. <laughs> that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. I have no idea what's coming out next mm. week. Did you look and see what's coming out next week? Um, I, I'm seeing a Danish film. I have oh. a screener for one of those. Uh, it's with um, Nikolai Kosterwaldo. It's called A Taste of Hunger. We'll be reviewing that next week. Oh, that's fun. Maybe that's, it's the week after. It's the uh, <laughs> It's, it's one I'm, I'm, uh, I get to write about. I'm, I'm doing uh, doing an interview. My first interview in oh, quite some time. That's so cool that, with him. It's coming up with Nikolai Kosterwaldo. That's cool, man. I didn't know about Star that. Star of Gods of Egypt. So I'm definitely asking him about that. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, it looks, like, uh, it looks like it's a relatively slower week. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got movies called Redeeming Love, uh, The King's Daughter, and The Royal Treatment, and maybe a few others, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll take a look. We'll get to something. We'll get there'll there'll be movies. But um, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a lot of exclusive shows. You can also vote for future episodes of our show, Critically Reclaimed. Uh, thank you to every single one of our patrons, without whom this show would not exist. Mm-hmm. This show would not be even remotely possible uh, without our patrons. So just thank you so much to everyone for all your support. Whether you're new or you've been supporting us throughout the years, you mean the world to us. Um, and we hope you're enjoying the exclusive shows over there. We got shows dedicated to Batman, Star Trek. We got commentary tracks. Uh, we got a lot going on over there, and um, we just hope you enjoy. It. Uh, if you want to, you want to uh, share your voice. You want to ask us some questions or uh, share your commentary, anything we discuss in this episode or anything at all. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. If you would prefer to send us snail mail, just full of snails. Send us snails. No, send us, send us an actual physical letter. Uh, yeah, we have a P, people do. We have a P.O. box. Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. We would love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that's it for this week. Never forget... Everyone's a critic, including you. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>